This edition of Two Locks and a Cox is sponsored by Excommunicate, the media and presentation arm of Radio X. If you want to get your organisation on the news or in the media and perform brilliantly without getting stressed about it, Excommunicate Media Training is the place to come. Or their expert journalists and communication specialists can come to you. Email studio at radiox.co.uk to find out more. Two Locks and a Cox. From Dylan's Radio X. Welcome to episode number 13, unlucky for some, but not for you and not for us, of Two Locks and a Cox. Today's edition is slightly different because it's only one lock, uh, a hooker, uh, no Cox, because uh, Christopher is uh, is away at uh, one of his other commitments. Sarah is still at WXV down in New Zealand taking pictures of the scenery. So you have me, Ian Dunstan, or Fat Reacher, as I was recently named by Chris, thank you. And uh, on uh, zooming in to, to our great podcast, we have Chris Whitehead. Two locks and a cox. From Devon's Radio X. Hi, Chris. Hello, everybody, and hello, Ian. Lovely to be a part of it. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for joining us. So today we have... On the field, we're going to talk about the World Cup final, uh, third and fourth losers. Uh, we're then going to talk about extra Chiefs men, extra Chiefs women, the future of, uh, of Chiefs, and uh, Chris is going to give us some great insight to that. Off the field, we're going to talk about the WXV in a little bit more detail about how uh, how the tournament is in these three countries, Tier 1, 2 and 3. We're going to talk about the, the long-term future of the Premiership uh, after this year. And then in the bin, Chris, I believe, has got a surprise rant for us that we're going to talk about there. So, uh, yeah, let's get going. Thanks a lot, Chris. Um, Look, you've joined us for the first time. We've been trying to get you on for a little while. Really pleased to have you. Um, uh, your career started off, I believe, in Leicester Tigers in the academy. Uh, and then you had a few other clubs. And then you joined the Mighty Chiefs, I believe, from Wasps. And so you you weren't the, or you haven't been the only hooker to have done that. So talk no, us through it. Indeed. Yeah, indeed. We're rolling back the years, uh, Ian. I've been retired now and it terrifies the life out of me. I think coming up to 11 years, and it doesn't feel like just yesterday that uh, it does feel like just yesterday that I was still out there on the field with uh, the likes of you supporting me. So, um, like I say, yeah, started at Leicester Tigers in the academy there, got fired from uh, Neil back for being too small of all people, which is still haunts me to this day. <laughs> not that I, uh, not that I hold grudges, as you can imagine. Um, but then moved down the leagues, got sent to Coventry, and then managed to work my way back up into the Premiership. Signed for London Wasps, had the worst two years of my life, but then uh, ended up in Devon uh, with the best four or five seasons of my my rugby playing career, and still a Devonian now at heart. And I remember did your I remember you joining because it was uh, it was a, a sort of a strange time with hookers, and there, there wasn't really uh, like a number one favourite before, and it was obviously something that uh, that was Rob felt that it needed strengthening, and you came on and pretty much nailed that shirt yourselves, didn't you? I've always liked you, Ian, but um, I think Neil Clark and Simon Alcott may have had different opinions of that, but I think so. I think that Rob saw me and he looked at me through the championship years, looked at my work rate. I was never the biggest of hookers, but I, um, I punched well above my weight. I just was bought in to really just try and cement a number two um, shirt, and there was a lot of competition. Like I say, with Clarkey, who was an outstanding hooker, a very, very angry man, but now subsequently one of my better friends uh, outside of rugby. And um, Yeah, so... It was just an amazing time. They just they just got promoted. They just beat Bristol in the double header. Uh, just got promoted into the into the Premiership. 
Yeah, I remember Clarkie because um, obviously he's he's down as a Chiefs legend, uh, has his has his own cup. And uh, in fact, we were at a, a social not all that long ago. I think it was a past players chief I got invited along to. And if anyone ever got the Neil Clark uh, pint, you had to see it off. Um, uh, but I, I think Clarkie w- was um, uh, yeah, he'd played a lot of rugby going through that. I'd need to get into the Premiership. He did indeed, yeah, and he is an awesome player. Me and him had some absolutely colossal scraps in training. Naturally, you want in that environment, and I'm sure they're going through that process right now, you know, that competitive edge and that competitive streak. Me and Clarkie had that in spades, and it sometimes bubbled over on a Tuesday session, um, but it was all for the good of the team, and like I say, you know, they're great friends now on and off the, on and off the pitch. I think it's difficult because Sayoko also had to uh, retire due to injury, didn't he? And were you similarish times... Yeah, kind of. So Sai was Sai was just coming towards. Well, he had a pretty bad injury. I think his was neck as well, actually. So he was just pre me retiring from my um, two broken neck injuries. Um, but yeah, there was myself, Clarku, Sai Alcott, and I think uh, I can't call uh, John Vickers as well. So there was four of us all competing for that number two shirt. But Sai, yeah, very quickly kind of like make, managed to work my way up to the number two spot. And then Clarky got a couple of injuries. And, and the great thing about Rob Baxter and something that I'm, I'm learning in leadership outside of rugby now is that if you did have a couple of off games, then you would get the opportunity to, that the person behind you that was playing well would always get the opportunity to go and play. And I think Rob has taken that throughout the last 10, 12 years of premiership rugby with Chiefs. And he really gives those young guns an opportunity. And, and that was me. And I got that, managed to cement my uh, name as a, a, a well, relatively well-established tucker in the premiership. And, had some pretty amazing experiences. Yeah, I mean, now I'm starting to, it all comes back to me. You said it's 11 years ago. I was like, no way. It doesn't seem that long ago for me either. Um, uh, Sayulcott, I think, signed from Worthing or somewhere like that. And he was a plumber originally. And Rob saw the talent in him or or one of, one of the team that Rob worked with did. And, uh, and he came on from there, if I remember rightly. Spot on. Yeah, I think he's out on ships plumbing or doing something ridiculous like that on big oil rigs or something so yeah he was, he was and you, just a drenched your your era of of hookering was oh, yeah. um uh, i know what a great word um uh, i'm good at making up words like that was it an era i can't remember when you actually had to hook and was it then that because you because of your size that then these big yeti hookers which were essentially another prop came in because you just used to push people off the ball uh which they've tried to bring back in with this you know hooker front foot's got to be forward the ball has to be hooked and not fed etc etc which appears to have been forgotten certainly uh, at the prem at the world cup yeah, it, it absolutely has, and I'm sure we'll come on to that later. But it, it was, yeah, like actually having to hook and use your leg in a scrum to hook the ball backwards um, was very much a prominent area of my skill set, if we want to call it that. Believe it or not, I have an amazing memories of, um, of of actually hooking against the head as well and winning a couple of scrums, and to the absolute amazement of uh, Olivia Azam at Gloucester, he was just amazed that somebody else dared try and hook a ball off him. Um, but yeah, no, great competitive, like great competitive area era of the game, which is, I, in all honesty, I think really missing right now. Yeah, I, and that's something that some people do. You know, unless you've been in that scrum or in that front row, I mean, I, I have no real idea what goes on in that front row. I mean, I probably get the best view of it. Um, uh, you know, looking. I bet, you, I bet you've sent. I bet you've sent a couple through, haven't you? Oh, mate, you know it. You definitely know it. And um, uh, but it, but it's that whole thing of. Uh, Going depending on the law is set one way, and the laws never really change. But depending on how people uh, or how the referees are taught to do things, or how World Rugby.
rugby want to sort of make the scrum work for them or not. Um, uh, the, the, the old original days used to have to, you know, ball straight down the channel. The hooker used to have to hook. And then this trend came in where they sort of started feeding it straight into the second row's feet. Uh, and then these small hookers that were mobile that could actually twist their hips to hook the ball and steal a ball uh, weren't really needed because you could put in somebody who was another three, you know, 10 kilos heavier who didn't have the mobility to do it, who could then just push the opposing team off of that ball. Uh, and where do you reckon we are at the moment? Because we're supposed to have been in the lighter weight hooker, but I don't know whether those laws are being applied and whether the, you know, the, the current size of hooker is bigger than they were originally. Oh, you look at the size of anybody in that front row or in that pack, or even on the wings nowadays, right? It terrifies the life out of me. With three young boys, all probably destined to play, or at least two of them destined to play rugby and hopefully one uh, football or whatever he wants to be. He can be happy. Let's forget about him for now. Um, but wouldn't it be lovely if all three of them played rugby? It terrifies me. The size of these these hookers and front rows. I think where we are right now is a, is a balance between when I started first playing rugby, i.e. the emphasis on trying to hook, versus kind of the middle way or end of my career when it was basically just fed into to the number eight's feet. I think they're trying to get that balance back, right? The only disappointment for me is that if only throwing or line-out throwing was kind of like um, given the same grace as kind of the not straight feeds in the scrums because some of my line-out throws were absolutely shocking. And a couple went straight to Hayden Thomas, uh, who, was our, who was our established number nine at that stage. So throwing definitely wasn't my strong point. Hooking and twisting the hips because I was a tiny little pecker almost certainly was. <laughs> it's funny you said, uh, yeah, Hayden Thomas, as we spoke about the rat. Um, uh, are you allowed to share what your nickname within Chiefs was? Oh, yeah, of course I am. It, it was it was Hoggle. Um, so for anybody that doesn't know Hoggle, he was, in fact, there was another one as well, but it has a swear word, so you may have to bleep it out. It was Chrissy Wissy <laughs> um, But I'm sure that your listeners and the listeners can make their own. If anybody was at the end of Chief Sponsors Do One Year, uh, back in 2012 or 13, I'm sure they'll understand the reasons as to why that one is. Yeah, I think that one we can probably just get away with. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah, Hoggle, the character. Uh, yeah, a great resemblance there. Um, we, we can talk about hookers in a minute because actually that, that comes up in the in the South Africa game, doesn't it? In the World Cup final, we're talking about hookers and the importance of uh, being able to throw darts uh, and how that all gets involved. So I think that, that neatly moves us on to um, uh, the World Cup. So... Uh, on the field, the the World Cup final and uh, England-Argentina. Uh, so let's cover the anti-climax first, which was uh, England-Argentina. Uh, Again, not for the purist. What, what what was your opinion on it? Almost certainly not. And, and, and I genuinely had no idea that there was a bronze playoff. And I'm, I, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if the players, after losing out on the semis, they went just out on the... On the, uh, on the old razzle-dazzle in the streets of Paris or wherever they were. And then actually on the Monday morning, realised, Jesus, we've got another game to play. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a spectacular game to, to watch or, or, or witness. And to be honest with you, I don't think that many people were too fussed about the outcome. No player in their right mind or no high-performing individual in their right mind wants to really get a bronze medal. Um, but hey, I may be speaking out of turn there. 
but I'm sure it was important for a 20 grand in their bank account to go represent their country. I think that you... sounded really bitter, didn't it? No, I didn't I, mean that. Do you know what? Do you know what it sounded like? It sounded like the truth to me, and quite often the truth <laughs> can be that. I think that third and fourth, the bronze there is just purely for fulfilling the stadium for the people that are going to be out there for the next day. Uh, give them a couple of games to watch, and then obviously the players get paid out, all the teams get paid out, TV, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's to make a more of a spectacle of a weekend than just one big game. But I completely agree with you, and I think you've. At Absolutely nailed it there where you went performing individual. So, you know, any player wants to win. They don't go out there to be second or third. Uh, the only person saying we got third will be Steve Borthwick trying to hold on to his job, I think. <laughs> what a miraculous recovery that man's made. Um, I'm sure he will be sat back uh, thinking, yeah, I knew I knew it all along. I knew we could compete at the, the highest, but and to be to be honest with him, fair play, a great credit to him, and the resilience is clearly shown. Something in those first probably five or six games pre World Cup absolutely wasn't telling me, and I'm sure it wasn't telling the listeners that England would be right up there. And I think there was definitely some frustrations and some kind of concerns. But hey, do you know what? Out of out of everything that's happened, it's actually not a bad result, right? Third in the world, last World Cup. And hopefully you can start to build on that performance and uh, or the, the, the performance against South Africa anyway and really start to kick on. Well, I think England, I'll say we, England were the only team to have lost one game in the whole World Cup. Even New Zealand, who were the finalists there, lost two. Uh, so he definitely did did something right there. And as we watched, you know, the the England South Africa game, that really, really could have gone anyway. So, oh, fair play. I mean, what a great chess player or strategist or, or or something that he did to pull that out of the bag. And that wasn't just luck. It wasn't just rubber the green. That was you know a, a bit of uh, Borthwick. You know, maybe that's why he's a bit boring. But that was definitely Borthwick's. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, who knew? <laughs> definitely Borthwick's style getting us out there. So, yeah, England, Argentina. I mean, that should have what we should have put in the bin because, but we did that last week. Fourth, third, and fourth loser. No one really is that worried about it. So, let's bring us on to, uh, to the World Cup final, France 2023. Um, you know, what a game. Unbelievable. Did you nearly stay out there to watch it? I, I did, yeah. we talked. That's how I got the name Fat Reacher, because I took <laughs> a little tiny rucksack out with me with just a pair of budgies and some T-shirts, and then I was going to do my tour of France. And uh, I was down in Nice, and uh, I, I made the, the big mistake of seeing that the two days after there was a flight back from Nice to Bristol for 70 quid uh, and I could get you know, back through the train, the bus and everything through my door for about £100 as opposed to a very expensive uh, longer week um, in France but would have been a great memory but you know unfortunately got a kitchen to uh, to pay for at home you know happy wife, happy <laughs> the, life the, the empire, <laughs> exactly, the empire doesn't build itself where you needed to get back to Back to work, uh, I'm sure, and obviously build that beautiful house of yours or the kitchen area in here. But yeah, what a game. What an absolutely amazing spectacle, right? And even for the neutralist, I think to have watched South Africa and those that got behind South Africa and the journey that they've been on, if you've, if anybody hasn't seen the video of Razi um, uh, almost breaking down, in fact, he does break down in tears and was talking about like the lead-up to the World Cup and the, the pictures on the back of the shirts of the individuals, just the emotion of that country... I think there was always ever going to be one winner. Um, I was not backing South Africa necessarily. I, I did want kind of New Zealand for some bizarre reason to to try and pull it round because they'd kind of flown under the radar for so many months in almost a year now. 
Um, but what a great game of rugby to watch. The physicality, the technicality of the team, the skill sets on show, just amazing. Just great rugby. Yeah, Chris and I uh, said this in the studio last week. We both kind of went with the All Blacks. We both sort of wanted them to win because you grow up in your, your rugby sort of life and uh, the All Blacks were, were always the best and uh, and seeing them not being the best side of the you know, the greatest All Blacks around was a, was a bit weird. So we really sort of hoped and thought that they were back to being the all-conquering All Blacks. However, you can't take that away from South Africa. Uh, when you look at, the, look at the games that they had, they had like a, a final for the last three weeks of of their World Cup, they they had to beat the biggest and the best teams uh, week in week out. Whereas New Zealand had a much sort of easier run through to that final, but just didn't quite have enough in the bag for them. But uh, you know, you've got to take your hat off to to Razzie, to to how he ran his team and to the whole of that South African team. And they really, in the exit or in the the the, the post interviews after they were they'd lifted the the Web Ellis there, they were. So so humble with it they were so good and it and that's just really nice to see and they've now set you know their name on there for the fourth time yeah beautiful to see genuinely beautiful to see and quite quite emotional as as, as nobody as somebody that has no attachments or associations with south africans uh, as a as a country i've played with some amazing south african rugby players throughout my career um it was just really a lovely lovely experience and just to see the leadership by salisa and uh, exactly head of it and the coach. I think the physicality aside, right, that's almost just their bread and butter. We all know that South African rugby is all about physicality. The emotional roller coaster and, can, and to be able to consistently get to that level emotionally and win the last, was it the last three games by one point? Yeah, exactly that, yeah. Yeah, they, so, yeah, they beat. a really special team. They beat France by one point. They then beat England by one point. They then beat New Zealand by one point. You know, and arguably, well, not arguably, just the stats show, don't they, that that's three of the best sides that were in the competition there. They do indeed. Yeah, they do indeed. Great, great final to watch. And... Uh... I'm already looking forward to the next one in four years' time. Yeah, I know. It's fantastic. And let's talk... We said we're going to talk about hookers, you know, your, your specialist skill and something that that we can, you know, go into your mind a little bit because it's not changed massively, has it? The, you know, the, the role of a hooker and you were at the top of the game in the Premiership there. Um, what's it like for South Africa losing your hooker right at the very, very beginning of the game and not having a specialist hooker to then fill in that spot? How, how did you see the line-out differ i know as a line out caller how how it was different um do you think it really hurt them and hit them much well in hindsight probably not as much as i thought when it happened right when when he went down with his knee injury which for me wasn't a red card and i don't even think it could have been a yellow card to be honest with you but that's again um, outside the point for me i thought well this is it this is where they fall apart right um because they hadn't got a specialist hooker on the bench but having had a watch of the remind me of the back row's name that came on for hooker i forget his name Oh, no. Anyway, it's irrelevant. Yeah. It's irrelevant. Doesn't matter. Um, he actually did well. Right, he did really well, and I think the lineout locks or the lineout callers, as you'll know, protected him really, really well in certain areas. There was a couple of misthrows. There was a couple of overthrows, but consistently, you wouldn't have said, looking back at it, that the set piece completely dropped off the off the radar completely. And what it did give them around the park was that physicality and essentially another back rower. Right? Probably one of the world's best back rowers, arguably right now. Um, it had to play hooker and outside of his position. Yeah, exactly that. And I know, like you say, that's what they did. They protected him. And South Africa were really very clever with the line-out because what they did, they, um, uh, they, they 
went against the jumpers at the back of the line-out. So they gave New Zealand right. the front of the line-out. Said, New Zealand, if you want to go to the front, you can have it. We're not going to compete with you there, but we're going to compete really, really heavily. So if you want to go to the front, you've got a slow pass then to get out to your backs and we're going to get right up in your face. He said, otherwise, exactly. yeah, other, otherwise, we're going to compete at the back and if you want to go off the back, we're going to steal your ball. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, exactly that. Very, very smart. Very smart. This edition is sponsored by Excommunicate Media Training and also by Exmouth Rugby Club. Exmouth's getting ready to celebrate its 150th year as a community sports club in the town. The Cockles have men's, women's and children's teams for all abilities. So if you're enthusiastic about your rugby and you're in Exmouth, head to the Imperial Ground and the Cockles will make you welcome. The scrums, of course, you've got another back rower in there. So as we we already spoke about, the ball's not really hooked. So that doesn't make a huge amount of difference. Uh, and essentially, you've got another back row who's uh, sort of like a tackling animal on the pitch, haven't you? Absolutely. Yeah, unbelievably so. I think it actually played in their favour. And scrum-wise, again, given the size of South Africa's number one hooker, you know, you would think that, and given their physical performance against England, and, and it, which inevitably led to the, the the loss for England, New Zealand really held their own, right? And there were some long scrums. I'm sure there were some some um, dizzy stars and dizzy hookers and props in that in that front row on both teams. Um, but they held their own. And there was parity in, amongst both scrum sets. So um, yeah, it was a relatively even contest, which ultimately led to South Africa winning. I think that was the difference, wasn't it? England held their own for sort of 70-odd minutes and then change of props and South Africa changed everything with their, with their bomb squad and, and that was what lost it. So just going back to, I think you, you said about the, the, the targeting the leg, it just looked like a clumsy fall to me. He definitely wasn't targeting it. Now, it was only a yellow um, for, for that one. The other red was Sam Kane, which was 100% a red all, all, all day long because it was shoulder to the head and that would have been a red, I think, throughout this World Cup. And a few people went uh, sort of we're on whatsapp and talking oh that's killed the final and i said i really don't think it has look how well england played with 14 men earlier on in the tournament 14 men just somehow psychologically uh hits you as a team that that you've just got to work that little bit harder and do everything to your best and i'm sure you played in many games where you you've gone down to 14 i was normally i was normally the man that, that sacrificed the team yeah so um, but normally I was the one that had either been Simbin or sent off. So, but you're right, you're right, Ian. Like as soon as you go down to 14 men, there's a different emotional switch that happens in, amongst the team, and all of a sudden it's that extra work rate and that extra carrying your body around the pitch to make sure that you are protecting the team, right? And and exactly because it happens so early on in the game as well. I think New Zealand really handled that quite well. Um, they they went into a really strong game management area. And they just bought themselves some time and they didn't absolutely kill themselves in the, the 40, 50 minutes that they were actually down to, to 14 men. Yeah, and it, again, it, it was a one-point loss and it really could have gone anyway at any time. One missed kicked, uh, you know, one line out that wasn't caught, one anything else. And that's what makes for a great World Cup, really. Um, and, and France did such a good job of hosting it, having mm. having been out there. But even just seeing it all, I did miss the uh, World in Union music uh, and we had to listen to the Rien de Rien song all, all the way through and hopefully the uh, <laughs> hopefully that'll come back for, for the next one. Um, Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, if you've got nothing else on on that game apart from what a great contest and how enjoyable it was, I think we can move on to the mighty Chiefs. Come on, the Chiefs! 
Oh, wow. I, I mean, you know, this is really going to be an amazing season emotionally i think well i think it was still going to be a roller coaster but based on the performance of these young lads they're not playing like young lads i mean watching the game that was a full sale side wasn't it yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah it was you know, which is which is ridiculous it's insane. It's it, it, and <laughs> did you watch Alex Sanderson's interview afterwards? I did. Yeah, he was just. I mean, he, he could do nothing other than, you know, give the accolades to Exeter, right? He was in absolute shock, uh, and yeah. he uh, he was just a true rugby gentleman. I've always liked him because I've always liked his 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 input on the game and how he sees it. Um, uh, uh, but how he how he did that one there, he was he was humbled and just said, "Well, fair play to the Chiefs. They did everything better than we did. We didn't do that. We didn't do this." I really would not like to have uh, uh, been in. <laughs> the players' boots on a uh, after that game or on a Monday. Do you reckon he made them walk home or? <laughs> it's a long old, there's a long old bush journey or flight back from uh, the southwest down to up to Manchester. But um, I don't know. I think I, I see a lot of synergies between Sanderson and Baxter. To be honest with you, and the way he handles, you know, just the raw honesty and kind of like sometimes you just have to tip the hat to the other side. And on the day, Sale just got beat in every single area. I think what amazes me and what frustrates me as well, even in my own beliefs, right? I look back at the Saracens game and I think, oh, it's a one-off. A young team, extra Chiefs, they've all got something to play for. Um, there's no way they can replicate that again. And they had a dip the following game, but then they've got straight back to it and they've beat a out-and-out first-team sale, um, sale, sale side, which is just remarkable. But is it really that remarkable? You know, Rob and the coaching staff are pretty well switched on now. You know, it's almost like, if you think of Dave Ewers, Jack Noel, Henry Slade, Sam Hill, those players that were academy players when we first joined the Premiership, they're actually, we're just revisiting that just some 10 years on, essentially. And there's some great talent in this pool, and there is some amazing players that have all got something to play for. I, I, and you know what, you're, you're spot on with it. Uh, and we'll almost, we'll talk about it in a second, that all, all those big players' leavings almost opened up something for these young lads to come through, which is what you mentioned earlier. Uh, uh, but it's also, again, even in, in, in the squad that we've got here, that little bit of um, and strength and depth already, because Josh Hodge you know, had an unbelievable first game, started off brilliantly against Quinns, and now he's going to be out for five months with, with this elbow. And uh, it was like, you know, hold my beer. I've got Tom, uh, Tommy Wyatt here uh, to come in from the wing. Exactly. <laughs> and, he wears, and he wears black boots, right? So Rob Baxter absolutely loved Tommy Wyatt. Um, and what a, what a formidable player he's starting to become as well. So, you know, these aren't just academy players. These aren't just players that Rob's kind of like plucked out of an air and gone, do you know what? I think we should give them a chance. Their talent is absolutely exceptional. And the more game time, the more experience that they get in this premiership, you know, and the more wins they get, but they have to keep level-headed as well because it doesn't just happen week in, week out. They've got to enjoy the wins, but they've got to also learn and reflect on some of the losses as well, which they are inevitably going to pick up throughout the season. What will be really important is how well they gel and how tight they are as an outfit to see a difficult season throughout. Now the England and the international stars are going to be coming back. How well can they really test themselves? I'm pretty confident they can, and they'll they'll do incredibly well. But I think there'll be a lot of naysayers out there that go, oh, well, they're only a young outfit. They're never going to get to where you know the old players would would have got to. We've got to give them a chance. 
yeah, I mean, they'll have learnt lots from Quinns. And watching the Quinns game, it was it was that typical playing against a very good side, little bit of loss of accuracy. You make a mistake, and some any good side's just going to jump on that and score. Uh, and that's what that's what Quinns did. And then as they started to push it, um, uh, Bentos, Chris, last week mentioned that uh, earlier on in your Prem sort of career, it, it was all about if you're away and you can get a point, then that's what we want. Let's go for that one point. Now, if uh, Chiefs had scored that one point um, at Quinns, we'd currently be top of the table above Bath because uh, our points that's difference exactly. is huge. Um, it, hit me so, it hit me so hard one day when Rob was talking about the minute you're 10 behind, right? And I, God knows how I managed to get through my career without thinking like this. All you've got to do is get back within seven. Right. All you've got to do is get back within seven. So that could be a drop kick, it could be a penalty, it could be applying pressure through multiple phases. And you're right, the difference that, that could have made with us at the top of the table right now would have been exciting. But let's not get too carried away. It's a long old season with three Prem games in um, and there's another strong, strong team to face coming up as well. Yeah, it's great. And uh, uh, obviously the, the first of the two games, dominant scrum from, uh, from Painter and Co. Uh, yep. And Rob was, ah, no, let's stick him on the bench. Well, and that's the beauty of Rob's management, right? He he will give opportunities to other people in the squad because he knows how emotionally and passionate they will be about getting an opportunity and really putting their marker down. Um, and the more you can do that, you know, great. Of course, you want some consistency and the players need to get familiar with each other and play with each other. But the more kind of like new guys come in or bench players get an opportunity, I think you'll remember Ian from playing back in the day, right? Tuesday sessions when it was the first team versus the reserves or those that hadn't quite made the made the cut on the Monday evening when Rob's used to send out the text messages. Those Tuesdays were always fiery and it was always the reserves that, quite frankly, excuse the French again, but dicked the uh, the first team ready for the weekend, which was a great settler, right? It was a great leveler to make sure, you know, that those players really just stamped their, stamped their authority ready for the Saturday. Yeah, I mean, those Tuesdays, I just used to hold on to that pad like no one had ever held on to that pad before. <laughs> You and me both. You and me both. <laughs> he was, not it? Team Binjuice all the way. I'm sure we had the most fun doing it, though. Um, uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, go back to... I, I remember... I'm old enough to remember Leeds uh, at the county ground um, uh, and just watching the side there and obviously Chiefs out with their full side, uh, which would have been, you know, both Baxters and Ben Toss and Sam Blythe and Tony Walker, uh, lots of other guys. Uh, and then we wouldn't really have a great deal on the bench and Leeds would then run their bench and then the score would just go flying through. How do you think it felt? for sale that they're that many points down just into the second half and then you see oh, you see Painter and Co come on and Egg uh, uh, and you're like oh no, it's just going to get worse uh, Demoralising, right? Absolutely demoralising and, and you can you can fluff it as much as you want behind the post as a team and say come on guys, we've got to play for something, we've got to play, we're now building into next week the reality is you're just trying to make sure you're not getting 50 or 60 or 70 points here put on you um, and, and that's the reality. But yeah, as you start to bring in like Jackie Hendel and CO and the other players, you all of a sudden think, crikey me, this is just going to get even harder. Two of our other bench players, uh, uh, Welsh internationals. So Chris yep. and, and Daft both came on as well. And you're like, wow. And it's so good to see that as, as a, you know, as a Chiefs sort of, you know, avid fan. You, you're, you're Chiefs now, aren't you? You're an avid fan of Chiefs. You've played the game there. You, you've, you've loved the club, but you still really follow and have that passion for it, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And I think the reality was, I think when I first retired some 10, 11 years ago, whatever it is, let's black that out. 
Um, I think I, I, I emotionally I was struggling to get back into to being able to sport. I never wanted to be that fan that was looking back and going, oh, back in my day, or we used to do it like this, you know. So I kind of gave myself a bit of a bit of a break for two or three years. But I'd always watch from the sidelines or on TV, and I just love the club. I love everything about it. It was home for me for only four or five seasons, um, but it's just such a great atmosphere, such a great place to be a part of. And obviously, it's probably one of the bigger reasons why I wanted to stay down in Devon, to be honest. And, you know, one of the great things, if you still, you know, I still play very occasionally, but if you still have to follow it actively, it means your Saturdays can be taken up uh, at the rugby game or, or, or being there as part of it. Uh, and although you don't get to shower with the boys, which is always, you know, part of the, the fun of the game, uh, you do get to drink the beer and it's much, much better than shopping. You do. And just like taking it back to grassroots, I suppose, you know, since retiring from the professional era, I've been really fortunate to go and coach like Kingsbridge and Topsham and more recently Sidmouth. Every single one of those players or the fans or the supporters or the families of the club, they're all kind of massive Chiefs fans as well. So no matter how far or wide you go within Devon, the Devon community, everybody is rooting for the game on Saturday. Now, I'm not afforded the, the privilege of going every single Saturday because I've got three kids and a very, uh, a very important um, better half in Amy. But that said, you know, the opportunities that I do get to go to the watch the game, I am there, I am with bells on, and I am fully behind the extra Chiefs. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Uh... I think that's wrapped it up on Chiefs. I'd like to say the last thing uh, on the field we need to talk about is uh, WXV, just because uh, Sarah's obviously heavily involved in it. Um, it's been a strange competition, as in how, uh, unless you're into ladies rugby, women's rugby, it's not been amazingly well uh, uh, published. It's been on radio, it's been on ITVX, uh, all the games have been on. Now, I think the Tier 2 and Tier 3 are now finished, which is South Africa and Dubai, and then the finals of Tier 1 uh, are in uh, New Zealand this weekend and uh, from what I've been hearing it's it's England's to lose uh, I think this format of having three different tiers of nations uh, and having them in three different countries really spreads those people out because they're never going to actually all get to play each other because they don't need to because of the way they've been tiered and this has partially been a, a pre-runner for the men's World Cup or the men's next sort of tournaments where they, they'll probably have sort of this north-south divide where the best of the north are play, uh, hemisphere are playing here and the best of the southern hemisphere are, are playing there is it anything that you've kept up to date with or or are you like most of the people where unless you're really into this or looking at it that uh, that it sort of passes you by yeah again frustratingly probably out of ignorance it's not something that i'm like absolutely dedicated to to uh, watching but mainly because of the media the exposure that it hasn't had uh, within the media now i resonate this with i guess you know england women's football right i now or just football in general within the women's era i watched that Probably more than I watch the EFL, right, and or the or the Premier League um, football. Again, some amazing talent on display, some players that are really passionate about playing for the sport, and it just seems to be a quicker, more enjoyable watch. Now, obviously, football and rugby completely different beasts, but no, in all honesty, uh, again, and it's purely out of ignorance by not being as aware of it as I should be. It's not something I've really taken that much consideration. Yeah, it's it, it it's definitely uh, it, it's up and coming. I mean, you could arguably say it's one of the biggest potential investments for for businesses to get involved with, um, uh, advertising wise and club wise. Obviously, you know, we've just lost uh, Worcester 
women's side uh, the other week because of lack of investment. I think they're down to nine sides in there. But there's a strong second division there. There's a strong uh, second tier of, of UK rugby, uh, of British rugby, English rugby, English rugby. There we go. Get it there in the end. Um, uh, and I think this domestic game is really going to help push on sort of this world rugby. And I see, you know, sides like the Chiefs, because uh, now we can talk about the Chiefs women. That's led brilliant into this. They went away and they absolutely dominated again. So, you know, the, the multiple, multiple tries being scored just like last week. Uh, and this divide appears to be there because the, the all the other sides haven't quite matured. And I think we used to see this in the Premiership where you'd see some big old scores, you know, like Saracens X to the beginning of this, se this season. But no, in seasons gone past, big, uh, big sort of scores, cricket scores going past sides. And it's very rare to see that now. Yeah, it is. You're right. And again, taking it back to grassroots, right? Every single local rugby club, wherever they are in the world or in the UK, or, or again, wherever they are in the world, you know, the junior rugby is pretty much the basis for any kind of grassroots rugby club, first and foremost. And then you typically would have looked at the first team or the second team within that rugby club. Now, women's rugby is growing and growing and growing. It's something really quite special. You know, I guess you guys are fortunate enough to have one of the best ambassadors for, for, for women's sport in general in Sarah. Um, but obviously playing at the referee at the very highest level at, um, in, in rugby. Dame Sarah Cox, um, Dame uh, yeah. Sarah Cox La last spotted with a butler handing her her phone so she could take more pictures of the beautiful scenery around Dunedin, uh, which is fantastic. Look, you brought us brilliant into local rugby. Now, after you left Chiefs, I think you went to Kingsbridge, you did a bit of time at Topsham uh, and then to Sidmouth. I'm just going to quickly go through the, the, the sort of the results of the tables where we're standing at the moment. So well, our main regional one, Southwest, um, topping it with Chew Valley, then Launceston, Devonport Services, Barnstable, Lydney, Exmouth, Brixham, Oakhampton. It's great to see them. Matson, uh, St. Austell, Ivy Bridge and Western Supermare. Now, the top of this league is really, really stuck on. Um, uh, we're, we're sort of one, two points separating all of those sides. Uh, no one is unbeaten, which is always great to, great to see. Uh, and everyone has... Uh, everyone has won at least one game uh, with even Western sort of down the bottom on six points of, uh, of won one game. So that's great to see, see in local rugby. Um, but then we can move on to your side and ask you a little bit more of an insight because in, in the next league down, there's two clubs that, uh, that you've, um, you've, coached with and, and worked with which is fantastic and uh, you know it's great to see Sidmouth brand new um, uh, no actually I think Sidmouth are new into this league top Shamar Sidmouth who've played seven and won six uh, they're in third spot and Topsham have played seven and won five and they're in sixth with 26 points. Um, you know, of, of those clubs, they're both very, very special to you. And I guess you had a different experience of both with Sidmouth more recently. Is this thing you can tell us about Topsham, how they managed to get promoted to two leagues on the trot uh, after you yeah. left? <laughs> absolutely. And I'd like to think it was all my doing, but it's probably absolutely not. I think for me, when I, when I, when I, Again, retired from professional sport, I I was desperate to try and give something back to the game. So my retirement came earlier than I was expecting it to. Um, but just to be able to go and be a part of a club or a group of people that are turning up on a Tuesday and a Thursday night, regardless of the weather, and having to pay to go and play sport was a completely eye-opener to me. I've been fortunate enough to be in a, an academy throughout the years that I was playing, so I never really had to go and play at local level. And it was just incredible to be a part of it. 
how have Topsham done it? I guess with some great coaching. I think they've got a guy called Bob there who's, I think he, he was there for a good amount of time and then left and then has come back. And obviously that kind of like blood that runs through him and the Topsham colours is absolutely obviously at the, the forefront of why they are being successful right now. But Sidmouth, genuinely, out of all three clubs that I've played for, I don't know whether I can say this, Sidmouth is probably the one that I'll hold closest to my heart for a very long time. I was so welcomed into that organisation or into that, that club and just not just me, my entire family. And uh, such a beautiful place to, to go and play rugby, to go and coach rugby. And um, I'll have some fond memories for, for, for a very long time to come, I'm sure. Uh, but the worst club in the entire world to park at if you're going to play there. <laughs> you definitely can't park around there, that is for sure. They don't. I don't like the grottles, even I, if you are from Devon. Yeah, I know exactly. I know only from the like you know the next town along. Uh, I'm sure it's like uh, you know the changing rooms of, of the opposition. Like you go to to Gloucester, the the uh, the opposition's changing rooms in Gloucester. You've got the most amazing new 4G pitch. The changing rooms for the the away side are tiny, and I'm sure Sidmouth sort of work on this. They they make all the players who have to go and play them walk like six yeah. miles from the nearest <laughs> car park to their ground. Exactly. For those that have been fortunate enough to go on uh, another amazing local rugby club, Crediton, right? The way they do it with the away teams, it's just fantastic. Like, and, it, and it just builds that frustration, right? It builds that, that like, oh, why are we, why are we having to walk so far to to go and train on a tiny little square? Of, of grass, um, whereas the home team get to train on the first pitch ready for the game. Now, uh, cre yeah, Crediton no, are right up, Crediton are right up there. You know, they're the same as Sidmouth. Uh, in fact, they're drawing on points, both on 29 points, same as in fact, here we go, look, now I read things. The top three, Camels, Crediton, uh, Sidmouth, that's Wadebridge, are all on 29 points. Now, um, Crediton are coached by a good friend of mine, Stu Lowe, uh, who, who, who listens to our, our ramblings on here, and we hope to get Stu on here. Um, He's done a great job there. He's an Exmouth. I call him an Exmouth legend. Now, we've got to be careful using the word legend because you know, it used to be someone who was amazing and pulled a sword out of uh, out of a stone and did things like this. Now it's your mate Dave who comes back for the bar with a pint and a packet of crisps. You're like Dave, you're legend. He's <laughs> just bought your Absolute packet of crisps legend. as well. <laughs> exactly. Or scampy I think, fries. Is, he, is, he, is Yendall doing some stuff down at Crescent as well? I think he he will be influencing there. I mean, they've been. A pretty solid team throughout the last as long as I've been involved in local sport or local rugby. Oh. I think Yendel doing some stuff down there. Oh, mate, you cut Yendel in half, he'll bleed black and gold. Yeah, he's definitely all black and amber, black and he, he's definitely crediting all yeah. the way through and through. So, uh, but it's just great to see to see that league um, uh, with everyone there. The, and the difference between the bottom and the top of that one is uh, is massive. You know, the bottom side are on six, the top sort of uh, well from six upwards are twenty six to twenty seven, twenty nine points. So, this is one of those leagues. It's going to be quite tough. Uh, for me, there, it's a little bit sad, you know, to see Newton Abbott, who uh, the All Whites, who were a, a long reigning great side around here, um, uh, sort of further down, and I really hope they have uh, have a much better season. Um, and then below that, the next league down uh, are sort of the first team and the second teams. And what's really good is to see Torquay on the way back up because I don't know if you know Torquay's first team got put down into uh, to the league below that, uh, and they play lots of um, uh, smaller clubs' first teams, um, such as Withercombe and South Moulton, and then they play second teams such as Exmouth. And uh, it's Exmouth's past player day this Saturday. Uh, it's also the big local derby which 
which is Withercombe's first team versus uh, Exmouth's uh, Quins, which are the second team, uh, which is uh, which is always uh, a good local derby. Doesn't quite have the spice of the old days when the first teams were in the same division, but it's going to be a cracking day. We hope for some horrible weather so we can hide under umbrellas and just watch a load of uh, thirty men sort of you know have uh, have a hunt the pill um, uh, on the on the muddy pitch down there at Exmouth. Um, you know, more, more importantly, have you have you got the green card from your good lady Catherine to absolutely have Sunday as a bright off? If it's ex players day at Exmouth, I can only imagine the state will be in at about nine o'clock. Uh, I think nine o'clock with the with the group of us that are going. Uh, nine o'clock, quite optimistic. I'm really into this <laughs> afternoon type drinking, as you, as you well know now, where you just get yourself written off nice and early. You sat at home by nine o'clock, um, uh, working out the the, the hangover uh, with the kebab. It, it, it's great. Just you know, it's fifty next year and forty nine now, and it's like you know that longevity of these you know, three o'clock in the mornings falling out in the nightclub with the lit up dance floor and things uh, uh they're still there in the bag when they need to be but um uh, I, I tell you what i'll let you know uh, on whatsapp on sunday or on the next pod how long uh, <laughs> how long we actually last which is uh, it's going to be cracking um and the chiefs are playing bristol at home which is also going to be another absolute monstrous game absolutely yeah huge game bristol's not doing quite as well as they probably anticipated or, or they are showing some elements of form but yeah, another massive game at the fortress of Sandy Park now, which is genuinely can now be classed as a fortress. I think a lot of uh, a lot of Premiership teams or any rugby club really want to always have their home ground as that place that no other team really wants to come to, and they always get sent home packing with zero. So let's see, be an interesting game. Yeah, exactly, Simmouth, isn't it? It's that bottom right-hand corner of the pitch that's nearest the entrance. You know where that ball goes, sort of their coffin corner, uh, and uh, yeah, I can think of so many other grounds. Um, Ivy Bridge before they uh, before they built their four G pitch. Those those areas that the local kickers, the local people know exactly where the game's going to end up. And uh, I think we talked about it with uh, I can't remember who it was, but Bedford being like one of the worst uh, where the Bedford players knew, it, and that's how they made that place their fortress, which is uh, absolutely just had some great years on loan from uh, from Leicester Tigers at Bedford uh, Rugby Club, and the slant definitely plays into their uh, into their favour. Brilliant. So I think that's that there. So the last one we've got to do now is in the bin. So uh, I, I said you had a special round. I, I know you, you, you've you got one that you mentioned to me on WhatsApp, but you might not want to talk about it live. But uh, mine is going to be the TMO in the final, wearing a suit that looked like he was going to a funeral and potentially spoiling the game by interjecting with a piece of play that Wayne Barnes had already said, let's move on. It was five phases back, a knock-on. The TMO'd seen it. TMO's brief is to do what he did. He did his job. But would we be better without quite so much interaction from the TMOs in, in these big games? Chris? The one, thing I would, the one thing I would say is we can't have it both ways, right? As fans and spectators, we, we, can't, we can't have it both ways in the sense that if something doesn't go in our favour or something doesn't go in the opposition's favour, whatever team you were supporting, you then can't start asking for a TMO to get as heavily involved. Now, when you look back and you think of Wayne Barnes in his career and how amazing he was in that World Cup final, it's how amazing he's been for God knows how many, how many years that he's been refereeing at the very highest level. I do think that they should have the final say and they should be able to veto the decision regardless of whether we've got the, the luxury, and I do call it a luxury, of having those TMO decisions. 
Yeah, I mean, Chris uh, Chris always laughs because he said about the TMO being in full kit. Because uh, I think we saw some <laughs> in the bunker sat there full kit, you know, studs on, scrum hat on, everything else. No, um, uh, and, and it was just classic the first time we zoomed round to... Um, <laughs> To, to the TMO there, Tom Foley's there in his full suit, black suit, all shirt and tie, looking really, really smart. Um, I, and I know it's the way that we use it. And I know that it's partly me thinking, oh, well, the game could have been engineered differently. South African were definitely great, great winners. Um, there were bits that the TMO brought in at various parts of the season. But um, Sarah's been in that TMO seat and says how hard it is. I think, personally, we're putting a little bit too much pressure on the TMO. And we're also so we're just bringing them in too many phases back. It's great luxury to have it there. And I really hope that something that comes out of the World Cup is maybe a, a slight review on how the TMO is used. Because let's face it, all the other leagues up to uh, up to Premiership cope pretty well without a TMO. They just make a decision and they get on with it. Um, the game's a lot faster without the TMO. Um, but Couldn't agree more, yeah. Things, things may go missing with that. So uh, did you want to bring up your in the bin? Have you got anything you want to rant about? <laughs> At the very start of the uh, start of the podcast, it was definitely a surprise to me when you said that I've got something to rant about. I um, mistakenly made the mistake, or mistakenly made the mistake, I accidentally made the mistake of telling Ian that um, I have one, um, one very, very bitter element of me right now, and it's Joe Marler. Joe Marler, for some reason, and I have no idea why, and I'm sure if he ever listens to this podcast, if he sat there smirking away, and probably doesn't really give a damn, to be honest with you, but his his level of arrogance and his desperation in his comedic values show no limits, right? And there was one thing that really frustrated me. Uh, it was brought up, I think, by Andy Gould, and they're currently having a, um, a bit of a spat on Twitter. He completely blanked Bill Beaumont. Now, whether or not he intended to to blank him is irrelevant you are picking up a bronze medal for your country having just represented it having retired god knows how many times previously you're in a very 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 luxurious position of representing a country in front of thousands if not millions of fans the least you can do is shake a man's hand now whether you agree with him or you disagree with his values as top of the rfu i don't know irrelevant shake the man's hand be courteous be grateful and uh, get off the stage as quickly as you can because you clearly drive chris whitehead crazy <laughs> now, I really, I really like what you've said, uh, and I, I can't help but want to just play a little bit of devil's advocate with it because <laughs> that's not like you. I, I really, I know. Yeah, Marlon's scrummaging was exceptional. So if he hadn't been doing his job as well as he did, I'd completely agree with you because all of a sudden he's he's irrelevant because he's in his you know he's way past his prime. He's just trying to be funny to get some sort of a career. But he scrummaged and he had, I think he had a really could World Cup, as did Dan Cole. Um, the Bill Beaumont thing, did he do it on purpose? Yes, 100%. If he hadn't, if he'd just shaken his hands, then nobody would be talking about Marla's displeasure with the RFU. No one would have known that. Yeah. Uh, the gentlemanly thing, the rugby ethics kind of thing, I, no matter how upset I was with him, I think I would have shaken his hand. But I don't, oh, I do, I, this is where I get really torn and where I realise I'm completely hypocritical, where I've got like these two sides, my bipolar side kicks in. I, he, he's got every right in the position that he is to to stand up and do it. He should have done it through his podcast. He shouldn't have done it through then. He shouldn't, uh, he should have done it through his podcast and the other things he does. He shouldn't have done it on the big stage in front of the, the head of world rugby who is giving you your bronze medal. I agree. Yeah, I completely agree. And to be fair, 
you know, we as fans, and, and that's very much what I am now, we don't want the generic player to stand up after a game and say, you know, all oh, credit to the, the players and give you no input or no no real honesty or raw honesty. One thing Joe Marler does very, very well is he wears his heart on his sleeve clearly. Now, whether he's trying to build a comedy, um, comedy career after rugby or not, I don't know and I don't really care. What he is, is raw honesty, right? And he's, he's a character in the game. We do need characters in the game. I think he does add value. Back to his actual job, scrummaging was exceptional, right? And he deserved every minute of the games that he played in the World Cup. And thank God he was there because at times, you know, if we look back at other players that are in his position, we really, really needed him. And uh, he did he did England proud, despite my despite my bitterness towards him. Nah, that's amazing. Hey, look, so thank you so much for coming on today. It's been absolutely brilliant listening to you and sort of, you know, learning a bit more of the inner secrets. Are we allowed to say sort of where you are and, and what you're doing at the moment, how your day's shaped up? Because we can hear yeah, a little bit of, of background noise and I know why. Of course, yeah. No, so I, I, fell, I fell very, very quickly from the, um, from the professional era of sport to the real world. So now I am in and out of the city uh, in the rat race every so often. So I'm still very, very fortunate to live in Devon. But uh, at least once or twice a week, I find myself in the big smoke in London. I've raced over here um, from from a client meeting this morning, and I'm now racing back over to another client meeting. Uh, I found myself in the world of sales and sales leadership, uh, which is great, but I'm learning every single day. Ah, that's fantastic. So you're currently in Paddington. I'm here in the studios in Exeter. We've had great chat about everything. Really looking forward to this weekend. The World Cup's over so we can focus our next uh, set of podcasts properly on Exeter Chiefs, on Exeter Chiefs women, or, 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 and then on, on the real local rugby. We do want your, your local rugby club involved. So I've mentioned Stulo from Crediton. Obviously, you've talked about Sidmouth. It'd be great to have someone from Topsham, someone from Saracens, uh, Tenmouth, Newton Abbey. But all the local guys, we've had South Moulton on already. That was great. So if you're available and you want to come on to uh, onto two locks and a cox or today, the lock and the, and the hooker, um, uh, you need to email brad at radiox.co.uk. So that's brad at radiox.co.uk for all of those things. Apart from that, this is me summing up. Thank you so much to Chris Hoggle-Whitehead, former Chiefs hooker, and I will say legend of the game, not just because he's bought me some crisps. Uh, in the studio here, uh, we've had no Brad, so we've had the new super Josh, his understudy, who's done a fantastic job, so it's brilliant here in Radio 2. And from me, Ian Dunstan, uh, what did Chris once call me the Johnny Vegas of rugby, whatever that meant. Fat Reacher, all the nicknames under the sun. That's this podcast. Number 13, lucky for all of us, signing out. Thank you. This edition of Two Locks and a Cox is sponsored by Excommunicate, the media and presentation arm of Radio X. If you want to get your organisation on the news or in the media and perform brilliantly without getting stressed about it, Excommunicate Media Training is the place to come. Or their expert journalists and communication specialists can come to you. Email studio at radiox.co.uk to find out more. Two Locks and a Cox from Devon's Radio X.